Because we like to keep our lights on, now a word from our sponsor. Founded in 2011 and headquartered in New York City, SongTrust maintains the most extensive accessible publishing network in the industry with a global network of direct society collections with 45-plus performance, mechanical, and digital societies globally covering 120-plus territories. SongTrust is owned and operated by Downtown Music Holdings. And now, friends, I have a deal for you. Visit songtrust.com forward slash pubcast and take advantage of their 20% discount off the one-time registration just for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. And now, let's get on with our episode. Hey, it's your host, Tim Hunzey, and in this episode of the AIMP Nashville Pubcast, we talk about the ever-evolving role of A&R with my friend Rohan Coley, Director A&R at Warner Music Nashville. Rohan just told me this is your first uh, podcast, so I will let you kind of give a little brief bio on yourself and how you transitioned from where you were, got to your position sure. in A&R well, currently. Thank you for having me. Uh, started out... In management right after college, moved up to New York and started as a day-to-day manager. The first project I worked on was a band called Hey Monday, which Cassidy Pope was the front woman of. And we worked in the pop emo scene, did stuff like Boys Like Girls, Metro Station, We the Kings, Cash Cash. And as those guys and girls started becoming writers and producers, we started managing that aspect of their career. And that started full-on transition to writer, producer management, Uh, moved to LA in 2012, lived there for a couple years, and then moved to Nashville in 2014, and have been here since. Uh, Started getting interested in country music in the late aughts, and it just fully developed into a uh, love affair with it, and had to move to Nashville, and started working with writers and producers here in town, and found myself working at Warner Nashville two years ago. I remember it was uh, Beth Laird introduced. I don't even remember the year that was, but it, it was, uh, she knew that I, I was in the publishing world and she connected us because she thought, A, that we would get along really well. And you, at the time we're working with these unknown duo called Dan and Shane. I remember listening to the music going, holy crap, these guys are amazing. Because y'all had a bunch of music, as I recall, which blew my mind. And then when we connected on the phone, What I was always struck by was your passion even then. Like you obviously love what you do and you're very passionate about the guys you work with because then we started setting up co-writes. I actually think the very first one we set up was Kevin Bard, Paul Giovanni, Adam Hambrick, and Jen Schott. I I think that's right. I still love that song. It's called What If I Was Serious is the name of it. Absolutely. Still haven't gotten it cut. I keep saying one of these days I'm going to get that song cut. But I mentioned a few of the names, but this is transition. When you you and I were working, uh, you really did a lot with Paul's early career and Kevin and really plugging them in. Do you feel that that background really helped you prepare yourself for what you do currently in in the A&R role? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think... Having been on the other side of it when I was, when I'm pitching songs or when or when I was pitching songs, just knowing that all people want is a response. They want to know that their music got heard. They they would love some sort of feedback, some sort of criticism, or if you love it and you're going to do something with it, you're going to put it on hold. Be respectful of that and give the writers and publishers an update once in a while. Let them know that you're still thinking about them because that's their livelihood. You know, for for me. If we would get a hold, we would go, you know, drinking and celebrating, and it means a lot to them. And so, so I don't take those situations lightly. I know what it means to 
to get one of those, and I try to be respectful of that. Having been on the other side, just begging and pleading for people to listen. I remember to having a couple of different phone calls with you, going, "Man, this publishing shit is hard, dude. Like, how do you do this?" All it's day really long? hard. It's yeah. exceptionally hard. I, I don't know if people fully understand just how difficult it is to pitch a song and have it work its way through, you know, the A and R to the artist to the producer to the, the promotion department, and then. You know, that's that's in a batch of songs with 13 others that have done that after God knows how many, you know, thousands of songs have been listened to. Uh, I know Scott Hendricks, who works in our department, produces Blake Shelton, Michael Ray, Dan Shea. For this last Blake record, he listened to something like 3,000 songs and Amazing. trying to whittle it down to whatever it's going to end up being. I get that question a lot. How many songs do people listen to to get to a record? And it's in the thousands usually. Yeah. yeah. Just, it just blows your mind. From being on the side, and you have the glorious background of also being a manager, so you're used to working with talent, and then you were working on the publishing end and uh, and, and trying to help set up those co-writes and those those sessions, pitching the songs, and then you transition into A&R. So how would you define your role within uh, Warner in your A&R position currently? So obviously what it stands for is artists and repertoire. So the first part of that is scouting new artists, finding them, signing them if you like them and then the repertoire part is working with them either if they write their own songs to help make sure that they are writing with a vision in mind or if they're looking for outside songs finding those songs meeting with as many publishers managers writers as you can to make sure that you're getting those songs but i think beyond that the a and r role is a different type of role than any other at the company and not, i'm not saying it's you know, better or worse, it's just a different type of relationship where you're working very closely with the artist and the manager to come up with the creative vision, which is driven by the songs. Because without the right songs, the right production, everything else is, I don't want to say irrelevant, but you're building your story based off those songs. And so it's extremely important to make sure that you're on the same page with the artist and the manager. So we sit down, we stress test every single song. We stress test release strategy, what's what order songs should come out in. And I think more than anything, being, I don't want to say a third wheel to the artist and manager, but I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like at times an intermediary between the rest of the label and what the artist and manager have in mind and helping translate their ideas and visions and concerns and hopes between one another just because we have a very intimate personal relationship with those artists. So we tend to understand where their heads are at a lot more than other people label. And again, that's not for better or worse. It's just a different type of relationship. So our goal is to help shepherd them through the company, help make sure that they are aware of trends in music, what kinds of songs are reacting, what a cool release strategy might be. And that's in conjunction with our salespeople and our marketing people. But it's it's hard to say exactly what it is that we do. And I remember showing up the first day at work and going, what do I do? Like, there's no manual for it. you just kind of have to dive in and, and figure it out. But I hope that helps answer in no, some way what we do. That's actually a, a very amazing description. I want to jump back to a, a word. You, when you say stress test something, what what does that mean in, in like a, a real day-to-day term? Just arguing over songs and imagining where, how do we imagine this song performing at radio? Why is it going to 
react or why is it not going to react? And we do this for every single that is picked. We it's it's the way it's worked so far is we get in a room and you know we'll usually have a few drinks and um, old school. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that's what I got. You sit, you drink, you have a the the vision and just a kind of. Which I appreciate that you live on your gut on that end. You're like uh, feeling it out with a little bit of data and knowledge uh, on the back end, right? Because we all funnel data, that. It, yeah, we're data is interesting. We we like to be aware of what's going on. But I've found that, and this is not to justify my existence or my job. But sometimes the songs that maybe stream well don't perform the same way at radio and vice versa. There are certain songs that for whatever reason, may sound great on a playlist and people love going to a party and throwing it on in the background and it gets a bunch of plays, but that's a very different game than what country radio is. And so depending on what songs you want to put out and service to DSPs, uh, maybe a different type of song than what you're looking to put out at radio because radio is a very specific format. If you're not listening to it, it's very hard to get that gut feeling of this would sound good on the radio because it, your gut is not attuned to what is going on culturally. That, that's a huge part of it. It's just whether you like it or not, listening and knowing what's going on is of supreme importance because I think there's at times, and it sounds horrible to say, but sometimes the best song, quote unquote, best song may not be the right song for radio. And you have to weigh that and know when the right time is to put out those works of art versus the songs that people just like to drive around and you know have a good time to. There is a lot of thought that goes into how will people perceive this artist based on this first single? An artist we signed, Ingrid Andrus. So we had three songs that we were excited about and we sat down and thought about we're not going to go to radio immediately because we want to introduce her to the community, to uh, to fans of country music. And we thought about what order do we put the songs out in. And the first song we put out was a song called Ladylike, which was there were a lot of autobiographical lines in there that helped describe who she is as a person, her viewpoints on standing up for herself, speaking her mind. And it was just, we thought that's the way that we should introduce her. Whether or not it's the radio single, it's the best first thing that can come out for people to latch onto her. And then we follow that up with one of my favorite songs ever, a song called More Hearts Than Mine. Great because, song. Thank Great you. Song. We, we fell in love with it and we thought, this is the kind of song that it may not be the obvious single type of song but it's our favorite song and we think after people have heard her first song ladylike which is a little more anthemic a little it does it's not a straight down the middle country song but with more hearts than mine that's a country song it's the most country thing we've got and we thought this is a great way for the community to understand who she is as a country artist because she came from outside of the country world and there may have been questions well is she country what does she do we're not sure what her sound is and that song, I think, shored up any doubt as to whether or not she belonged in the format. So that was why we put that out second. And third was a song called Both, which we freaking love. And it just felt natural that that was the third song. It, it kind of blended elements of the first two. So that was, it was a very strategic uh, reason for why we put out those songs in that order and serviced them to DSPs in that order.
having um, you know years of experience and knowledge of the business and really staying attuned to the marketplace does factor because I get it sometimes on, on the level from my songwriters or you know they'll play me something and I, I, I remind them I said look because I've had somebody say well you've never written a hit so how do you know I said look here's my deal with that I've been doing this a long time and all I'm doing is funneling my years of intuition knowledge down this funnel for country radio. You want to have a hit? This is what I know helps you do that. Yeah. There are some rules, There's a, but you know, sometimes you got to throw those boundaries out the door as well. But there are certain things that factor in, you yeah. know, like cigarettes. That's just a bring on a random. I always tell them, don't use cigarettes. For whatever radio, reason, radio doesn't like the word cigarettes. They don't like you singing about cigarettes. So if you're right, I don't care if it's the best song in the world about cigarettes. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. Not to say you can't write one. But yeah, but I think having that intuition is important. I I remember in college, I read a Rolling Stone article about Clive Davis, and it changed the way I listened to music. But the author said about Clive, for for a critic, a song should be a hit because it's beautiful, meaning it's a well-written song, well-produced. But for Clive, a song is beautiful because it's a hit, and that every song in the top 10 should be studied, admired, analyzed. And so ever since then... I will look at the top 10 songs, no matter what, I'll see who the producers are, who the writers are, and really try to, whether or not I like it, understand why it got to that place. It's it's uh, it's probably been the most helpful thing that I've done in trying to understand what is going to make a song a reactive song. So there you go, kids. If you want to get an A&R, study your music, deeply study your music. I want to talk about how you sign your artists. What is it you start to look for? I know that's a really broad question, and if you're like me, there's a lot of different ways. But in general, when you're looking at an artist, maybe there's twofold to this. How do you and where do you find artists? And then what makes you decide to pull that uh, imaginary, well, it's not imaginary, it's real million-dollar trigger? Yeah, um, a lot of it comes through good old-fashioned relationships. We, Especially in Nashville, it's a small town. Everybody knows one another. So we get pitched artists from publishers, managers, lawyers, booking agents, whoever. So we get a lot of submissions via trusted contacts. We we use data tools to figure out what's going on out there on, you know, if it's Spotify, Apple, whatever. We get reports. We we're aware of things that are popping up and we'll go, you know, make sure we check it out. Uh, sometimes it'll it'll be as random as you're at a show and there's an opener you've never heard of and you go, who is that? That sounded great. And so it can come from anywhere. We'll listen to anything. Um, as far as what makes us want to pull the trigger on something, again, it goes back to gut. I mean, what I what I look for and hope for more than anything is that they've got a unique, identifiable, strong voice. That doesn't mean they have to be technically perfect, but whatever it is that they are in extreme version of that, that when you turn on the radio and you hear their voice, you know who it is. I mean, you, you can listen to Blake Shelton sing one word, you know it's Blake Shelton, or Kenny Chesney sing one word, you know it's Kenny Chesney. And so for me, I'm looking for identifiable, unique voices. And from an artistic perspective, someone that's got something to say, hopefully in a unique way, they view the world in a certain way and they write songs or collect songs that represent that view because you know I don't I've only been doing this for a couple of years but I don't know how much passion I could have for something that is a copycat version of another act I just I'm looking for stuff that pushes it a little bit that makes me that tweaks my ear and makes me go wow that never heard it said that way before or if it is a party song they just do the best possible version of a party song but more than anything looking for a strong unique voice 
I love that um, uh, part where you said, you know, they have something to say. I learned early on again from another mentor that I worked with, Jeff Carlton, and we were signing an artist, and I was just curious. I remember asking him. I was probably a year into my career, and I said, what made you really – I mean, the voice was cool, but he goes – I just really believe they have something to say, and I want to be a part of that. And I, that has always stuck with me, whether I'm signing writers or artists. It's I'm, I'm passionate about you need to have something to say. And a lot of times I define that as you have that unique voice inside you, which, again, I'm like you. It doesn't necessarily have to be a note hitter where you're just like got the best singing voice ever. I just want to hear some passion yeah, and, and connect, absolutely. connect to that. If you were going to give advice to young artists trying to break into the business, like how what what would be the best piece of advice you could give them on on trying to get a record deal and prepare themselves for a record deal? There's a lot of I know that goes into that question as well. But if you could kind of give somebody that's out there going, well, how do I get a record deal and how can I get myself ready for that? That's a very tough question. I know, but it's my job to ask those. I think more than anything is knowing who you are as a part, what you're trying to say. And combining that with hard work and a vision for what you're trying to do. Because if you want to be on country radio, you probably need to listen to a certain type of song, study the craft of songwriting as it pertains to country radio. If you're trying to do a different type of music, if it's more rock-leaning or Americana-leaning, then that's a different type of focus that you'll need to put into to working on it. But I think it, it goes from us signing an artist like Cody Johnson, who has built up... A, you know, an insane touring fan base to signing Ingrid Andrews, who had never played a show for all intents and purposes. And so a lot of people say, well, what do you need to see? Do you need to see social activity? She didn't have any social activity, to be honest. I mean, we just loved her voice and her songwriting. And she'd been honing her craft for, at that point, probably over 10 years. She'd done She'd gone to Berkeley, studied songwriting there. She'd written, she'd gotten signed to a publishing deal and had been writing songs for other artists for, at that point, I want to say five or six years, she had performed in acapella groups. And so she may not have known exactly where this was going to lead, but she was working towards writing commercially successful songs. And once we figured out, hey, she's a really talented songwriter, we went, we need to have her. And as soon as we signed her, she started turning in these songs that we went, yes, you're making us look extremely smart. But it's... <laughs> don't it, you love it when that happens? Yeah, there's no clear path. I don't want to... It, I don't want to make it sound like you can follow a formula and get to where you want to go. It's having determination, knowing what you're going for, uh, because if you don't know what you're trying to get to, it's really hard to get there because you're you'll be floundering, wondering, well, how come they are having success and I'm not? Well, are you trying for the same type of success as they are? And if not, then that's okay. But just be be aware of that and understand what it is that you're. Probably the hardest the conversations I've had with young talent, and I, I'm using the word talent because I have come across so many people that are so gifted, but they don't. When it comes to the artist side, they don't clearly have the vision of where they're going. They'll turn in too many, like it's too broad, and that can sometimes is a detriment when you're overly talented. And uh, I've met tons of them that that can go so many different directions. And so for those listening, I would really again just find a lane, find a lane, stick to it, trust it, find your path. Cause that is so, even on my end, uh, on the publishing world, as well as the, on Rohan's A&R side, that is just a number one. He said, you've said it a few times. It's like, know who you are, know your vision, know your direction. And, and it, I realize it takes time to sometimes get there, but yeah. you can see growth. Like, you know what I mean? In that, in that lane. So work hard, be nice and know where you're going. 
I, I like that. Throw in, be nice. Got to be nice. Always. Because we're all teammates. I, you heard Rohan's passion. I want to point that out, knowing him and knowing how he works with his artists. It's a teamwork thing. You know, there's no, everybody's got the same goal, yeah. which is ultimately to, Absolutely. Be, to take your dream and make it successful. And we may right? have disagreements about how to get to that goal, but we're all going towards the same place. Because it's tough, man. I know we all uh, have our moments of laying on the floor in the fetal position, wondering <laughs> what in the world's happening. But, you know, we, we, if we get the right teammates and the believers on board with you and trust it, then, uh, then the rest will take care of itself. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate all your insight and thoughts on the, uh, the role of A&R and what that looks like for all the developing artists out there. Tim, thank you for having me. You're one of the best people in, in town. And Lies. I, nope, no, no, <laughs> seriously. Well, anyone listening you. to this, Tim's one of the best and I appreciate you having Be me Be sure on. to put that at the front of the podcast. <laughs> this is Tim Hunzi, and thank you for listening to the AIMP Nashville Pubcast. We'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast in your favorite platform and follow us at AIMP Nashville to stay on top of the latest news, events around music publishing and songwriting. AIMP Nashville Pubcast is created by executive producers Del Bobo and yours truly, Tim Hunzi, producer Brandon Harrington, mixing and editing by Casey Porter. Thanks for listening and supporting AIMP Nashville Pubcast.